Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, tennis fans. Welcome to the Yellow Ball Network, where you'll find your tennis news. This is your host, Coach Denise, exploring tennis blessings and its effects on life's journey. Tennis is a wonderful sport, which could be the vehicle that takes you through life's journey. And our mentors, well, they might provide that roadmap for your journey. On most Thursdays, I'm blessed to be talking with mentors who have paved the pathway for many tennis players and coaches. Normally on the first Monday of the, or sorry, the first Thursday of the month, it's Alan Fox. The second Thursday, which is today, it's Coach Chuck Reese. And then on those third, fourth, and sometimes fifth Thursdays, well, it could be Dr. John Murray, Coach Scott Williams, Energy Coach Linda LeClaire, Dr. Bryce Young. Uh, we're blessed to have Ashley Hobson on often, the great uh, Davis Cup coach and uh, coaches right here in Florida now at Inspiration Academy. We've also been blessed to have Nick Saviano, Coach Scott Inge, a former high school coach that uh, became a uh, college coach, and we've had many college coaches and high school coaches. We've also had USTA officials on, PTR and USPTA executive directors, and on occasion we even get that Florida Tennis Magazine founder and editor Jim Martz on. Of course, the nice thing about talk block, about block talk radio and the yellow ball network is that you can listen anytime you choose. On Wednesdays, Chuck Reese's American Tennis is on. And now on, thir- on Sundays, Coach's Corner with Randy Blumendale is also on. So you can listen to those times anytime you want to those programs. I would like to thank the Yellow Ball CEO, J.P. Weber, for hosting our network. And if you're not following We Coach Tennis on Facebook, well, you're missing out on some useful information. And because I believe Dr. King, when he said, our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter, each Thursday I will add my personal views on North American tennis, and naturally you will hear my biased views that the tennis journey should be going through our high schools and colleges. Who knows, together we may, we may wake up that sleeping giant called high school tennis. Besides our weekly conversation, the almighty willing, you will also be able to continue reading my articles in Florida Tennis Magazine. As a matter of fact, uh, this uh, issue should be coming out uh, any day now, if it isn't already out, and you'll see my uh, two-part article uh, asking where uh, America, what's happened to American college tennis players. And uh, I would really like to, uh, I think we have some outstanding quotes in there. It's a two-part story because, uh, well, I'm limited in my uh, writing. Uh, but Marcus Dayton of College uh, Tennis Recruitment video has uh, expressed views. Ashley Hobson of Inspiration Academy has expressed views. And today's uh, guest, uh, 
Coach Chuck Reese, uh, who what 50 years of uh, well, I don't, if not close to a coaching experience, and uh, also uh, I don't know how many years, 40 plus years, I guess, of college coaching. He has, uh, I have quoted him in the article, and uh, of course, special thanks goes out to uh, uh, Tom Farnham, who is. Uh, his book, uh, the Little Green Book of Tennis, is a great book for college coaches, and I'm sorry, high school coaches, I'd say, and parents. And, of course, uh, like our guest today, uh, the, the four-time National Coach of the Year, he was uh, 2007 uh, Intercollegiate Tennis Association Hall of Fame inductee. So um, I think you'll find the uh, article uh, pretty interesting. And, of course, if you don't get the uh, magazine, you can always go to the uh, uh, com, and you can always read the last uh, article there. And if you disagree with some of the things I say, um, you know, let me know. Sit there and uh, give me an email. I do respond to all the uh, emails. And uh, if we can keep a civil conversation, uh, I'd like to do that. So I'd also, uh, I see our guest on today, and I'd uh, like to get to him uh, right away, but I would like to sit there and just remind everybody, is the great thing about blog talk radio is that you can listen anytime you uh, want to. I very seldom listen to uh Coach Chuck Reese, uh when he's on live, uh, but I've uh, seldom, I, I don't remember the last time I missed one of his uh, broadcasts. Uh, hang on just a second. Coach, are you there? Yeah, hey, good afternoon, John. How are you doing? I'm blessed, thank you. Listen, I'm going to, uh, I'd like to just read my commentary first. I'm, uh, I'm always uh, trying to, uh, well, I, I believe Coaching Tennis is uh, probably uh, the most useful book for college coaches, high school coaches, parents, and players. And I probably am remiss in mentioning that you've uh, written five other books too, but I just, uh, I just love that book, and all my coaches, uh, when I uh, had a team, they all had, that was one of the mandatory things that we had. Uh, uh, well, some thanks, people Sean. said I was a dictator. I don't think I was a dictator, but I think if you want to make coaches better, you've got to provide uh, the material for them. Uh, so before I, I, I have a commentary today, and as you know, I've, uh, I'm not too old to uh, take suggestions, and it was recommended a few months ago that I do my commentary first. And maybe we'll go into uh, coaching tennis, or I'd like to hear your remarks on this here. And I talk Sounds often good, to the audience Let's about mentors, and uh, I think one of the great things in using Coach Creasy's uh, three-term mentoring program, there's a certain point where you, you've got to respect each other and uh, talk equally. And I know uh, the nice thing about uh, being the first to comment on this is I know I'll get your truthful, 
you and when you disagree with me, you're not afraid to tell me uh, so. But let me go into today's commentary. I, I just finished reading 12 Rules for Life. And while the author, Jordan B. Peterson, provided too many topics to re-examine today, Rule 11 uh, does stand out in uh, my mind, uh, and that was titled, Do Not Bother Children When They Are Skateboarding. And this reinforced the theory that I have and I have talked about often, so naturally I was impressed with uh, that chapter. I believe that many of the shortcomings of today's youth were brought on by my generation. And yes, I plead guilty to, of contributing to some of it. And in, effort, in an effort to protect our children, many of us would not allow our children to do some of the things that we did. Like many of today's parents, we overreacted to things when they went wrong. And some of us restricted our children from challenges that we often faced. Other parents felt making things easier and safer would help their children succeed and look to regulate sports and other activities. I suspect many of them, though, when they were doing that, were forgetting that adversity introduces the individual to themselves. As coach, husband, parent, grandparent, and great-grandparent, I normally associated life's lessons with sports and the value of competition. Uh, my family often heard me talking about the value of competition, and it was not a dirty word. Bobby and I have spent many hours with our children and grandchildren at parks, and often we kissed and fixed a few bruises that occurred at those parks. Over the years, we also noticed that the playgrounds were more regulated and admittedly safer than previous years. But unfortunately, we also observed that the playgrounds are being used less and less. I suspect the children are not facing the challenges we did, and there are not the feeling of success when overcoming some of the obstacles that we had to face. I have also noticed in my own city that our skateboard park was being upgraded to make it safer and less subject to injuries. Naturally, it also made it less challenging. And today, quite frankly, it's less used. Is that because of the increased fees or the lack of competition? Can we regulate success? This brings me to a question. A similar, it's similar to a question I weekly ask, which you all know and heard me say many times before, is your high school tennis team an after-school activity or an after-school sport? My question today is, are the playgrounds too safe? Well, that's my commentary, and as always, I'm always interested if you agree or disagree, and you know how to get me at CoachDenise.FHSTCA uh, at ATT.net. Coach, would you like to comment, or should we go into your book? Well, I think you got a lot to talk about there, John. Um, <laughs> I know. You know, for all of us, there's nothing more frustrating than all the information that we have out there today. I mean, it's an information overload, isn't it? And uh, with with all of the books out there, with all of the 
with all of the uh, stuff on the computer, with all the information, and uh, any of us that have children always wonder, well, why aren't our children more hungry for the opportunity that is right in front of them? And, uh, you know, so I, I really would like to address that a little bit, and maybe we could talk about that, and then we'll go into something, uh, you know, from the book if you'd like. But, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm just so against what's happening with overregulation, understimulation, uh, overdelegation, <laughs> and all of the things that we do with the central government uh, of tennis. So if, with your permission, I'd like to talk about that a few minutes here. No, I think we should because, uh, you know, truthfully <laughs> – when I saw that chapter 11, uh, you know, don't bother your children from skateboarding, I said, oh, my God, well, can I handle this? But there's something good, I think, that comes out of discussion. And my wife reminded me is you always said never put down a book until you finish it. So I, I, well, I would. I think it's worthwhile discussing. Okay. Well, Dr. Jordan Peterson, first of all, his book, I, you know, I ordered that book and it, it – uh, I, I didn't get it for some reason, um, and I've heard about the book. A lot of my guys on my team really love him, and uh, actually my son has authored a book, and he said he was inspired by Dr. Jordan Peterson. He's probably the hottest guy out there as far as just straightforward, um, you know, some ideas, and, and he appeals so well to the young people. But, um, you know, what what a name, a great name for a chapter. Don't bother the kids when they're skateboarding. And, uh, you know, it's pretty cool as you see these kids who do skateboard or do things just on their own. It does remind you of when we were children, we'd grab a ball and a bat and hit the back door and we'd be gone all day. And mom said, be home at six if you want any dinner. And, uh, you know, she didn't know where we went sometimes. What what great thing we, uh, in my neighborhood, we had a school playground with a couple of basketball goals. And then we had a a park and at the park you had homemade baseball diamonds we used to have or one of our diamonds was called the rock and then and then another another one of them was the pond i believe and then we we had one by the old tree you know or something but we sort of made up our own diamonds but tennis let, let me let me talk to you a second here about tennis well let, let me at the schoolyard we also had pick up basketball games well of course I grew up in Indiana so you'd have pick up basketball games and I would go and sit and watch the older kids play the older guys and you would have to call winners and uh, let's see if there were three-man team or four-man teams and you were the only one you would pick a couple couple people from the losing team and then that was interesting always if you're a little guy you you had to pick the best three or four big guys sometimes, and the guy that was left out would call you a name and walk to the side, but then he had to wait for winners, and uh, nobody was given instruction. We just played, you played games to 24 basketball by two, and uh, you had to win by four, and, uh, you know, wow, you learned to compete, and there was always a few fist fights there. People would get in each other's face, and you know, it's just part of the playground. It's Playground 101. You had to stick up for yourself. You didn't bully anybody, but you had to learn to stick up for yourself, and you had to learn to compete. And uh, so, you know, from there, you know, of course, 
I went to a little bit of organized basketball. You know, I could, sixth and seventh grade, I got cut in the fifth grade. Best thing that ever happened. It crushes you. Then you decide whether or not you want to continue or you want to, you want to bail out or you want to continue and maybe go through the same pain again. But probably the most valuable thing ever happened in my life was getting cut. It was, wasn't overly, overly organized. But as a fifth grader, nowadays we just keep the scrubs on the team and say, hey, you know, we don't want to dare hurt somebody's feelings or something. So then you go into organized basketball, and I don't think I had anybody show me really what to do. Um, you know, in those early days, um, we got a little bit of coaching and stuff, but sure, surely never had lessons or never had it over-organized. But tennis, tennis was something over at our park that we went to the park, and people asked me, "Who? how did you learn tennis? I said, it was Dr. Sid E. Parks. And, and uh you know, uh, at the, surely at the city park, we would we would go over there and the kids would hang out. And sure enough, we'd have a football game or something going right next to the tennis courts. The tennis courts were the only place that had lights. And in the summertime, you'd go over there and hang out and you'd get a pickup football game going. Well, these people would be playing tennis and I'd watch it and I'd say, well, what a sissy sport that is. Oh, I'd never played tennis. Oh, my golly, look at that sissy sport. You know, and, and then the first time I ever tried to play, I go, whoa, this is really, really hard. And, whoa, I'm really, really crummy at it. And, wow, I don't like being crummy at stuff. So, sure enough, at our city park, John, they had a a first court, and uh, that's where the best players played. And guess what? If you wanted to play on that first court, you had to call winners. And if you had somebody to play with you, you could call winners as a doubles team. But if you didn't have somebody to play with you, you'd call winners and take one of the losers. And then you as a little kid had to say, look, I want you, I don't want you. And that was interesting in itself. And then if you won, you got to stay in. If you won again, you got to stay in. You won again. Now, by this time, you're tired, but you don't dare give up that court because you go to the back of the line where, you know, third or fourth or you know, you might have to wait another hour or something to get back on that first court. And so it went. And I can remember playing up to 10 sets a day uh, just because I wanted to stay on that court. I didn't want like to get bumped off the court. And there was a hierarchy there that you had to go through. And you had to – and then in singles, if you got to play some of the old buzzards over there. In singles, you had to beat this guy named Old George. Then you had to beat John the fireman. Then you had to beat John the cop. Then you had to beat, you know, uh, the, the ultimate guy was Paul Ditzenberger. I, I actually put his name in my book in the acknowledgments because he was the old guy that took care of the courts. And, oh, my gosh, if you ever got to play against him. And then the day I beat him was the highlight of my life. Now, all that happened, and I never had a lesson. Never had a lesson. And then I was lucky enough in high school, my father worked with a coach was pretty good he was a pretty darn good player and he used to pick me up after school when I was like a sophomore or junior in high school and then we'd go out and play three sets or something and I learned a lot from it was Roland Leverins was his name and he was a fantastic man he gave his time he never charged me a penny he just gave his time to me and, and helped me learn how to play or compete a little bit better and guess what? After all that, my dream of playing college basketball was drying up. I 
a little bit too short. My vertical jump wasn't quite enough. I only averaged like 12 or 13 points a game, and I was maybe going to be able to walk on somewhere, and I ended up walking on a Tennessee Tech where I got a tennis scholarship. But the basketball scholarship was too big of a stretch. But I was, as a good athlete, able to get a tennis scholarship to Tennessee Tech. I'm telling you the whole story because I was a skateboarder. Basically, it was skateboard tennis, skateboard basketball. And and kids, we played, and all we knew was we didn't want to get beat. We were competitive. We lined up anybody. We took on anybody, anywhere, anytime. And sort of that was the deal. And if somebody, somebody, uh, you had to stick up and trash talk them back. And if somebody didn't like what you were doing, you had to stand up and the bully bullied you, you had to stand up and there was going to be a fight sometime. And, you know, it, it's just the way it was. And people say, oh, my golly, didn't I teach violence? No, no. It it taught people hunger and it taught you how to compete. And little kids don't hurt each other when they get in fights on the playground. It's just so aggravating to me. Little kids don't get hurt. Do you remember, John, do you remember the old movie Bells of St. Mary's? Do you remember oh, yeah. that? Yeah, uh, Bing Crosby and Ingrid Bergman. You remember? Yep. You, and now, for any of you out there listening, if you would go and get that movie, The Bells of St. Mary, around Christmas time, you have Bing Crosby, Ingrid Bergman, and it was a fantastic movie. Hang on a second. Hang on a second, uh, John. Okay. My daughter's. Hang on just one second. Go ahead. I'll hang on with you. Uh, well, we're waiting for uh, Coach to uh, come back. I actually started tennis at a country club, but it was for a reason yeah. that I was at the country club as I was caddying, and I had a five-mile bike ride to get back home in between the next time I was caddying. So uh, with the tennis courts there, yeah. I, was, I was lucky enough that somebody uh, gave me a racket and started going and rather than bicycle five miles home and then coming back for the next time I caddy, I started playing tennis. Go ahead, coach. I was just yeah. trying to keep no, busy. I, well, I think anybody listening out there, if um, they're over 40 or so, they probably had a similar experience. You know, the parks department, um, I want to, you know, talk just briefly about, I don't want, I want to come back to that. The Bells of St. Mary, I want to talk about fighting on the playgrounds and just my, this is my opinion out there. If there are people think, oh my golly, promoting <clears throat> fighting. Um, in, the, in the movie, if you remember some little kid, Billy or something, um, old Ingrid Bergman, he, she was the mother superior and she told him, you know, turn the other cheek. <laughs> <laughs> he turned the other cheek. He got pelted by the bully on the playground. And Bing Crosby goes up and says, hey, to the bully, hey, buddy, you got a good left there, man. You got a good left. He said, thank you, father. Hey, thank you. <laughs> and, the, and the kid, Ingrid Bergman, sees, sort of sees the wrong of her way, sort of overly mothering the kid. And she goes out and buys a boxing book. And she teaches old Billy how to fight. And and then the next time the bully picks on him, old Billy sticks up and he does his daggone, you know, uh, Muhammad Ali shuffle. And he, you know, it would be Rocky Marciano, I guess, back then. Right. Or Joe Lewis shuffle. And uh, beats, he, 
he he wins the fight, and then the other kid comes up, right? The kid he beats comes up and says, oh, wow, Billy. Wow, you've gotten good. Hey, man, hey, think you could show me some of those moves? He said, sure, let's be friends. But the point is that's, in a, in a nutshell, exactly what happened with on the playground, the laws of the playground 101. It, what happens is fighting turns to arguing, turns to dis- respect, or discussions turn to respects, turn to, to debating, turns to great friendships. Your best friends were the ones you were territorial against, and now we have, we're teaching our kids to be wimpy, you know, to just take stuff. And what ends up, my belief is that children who grow up and never learn how to stick up for themselves do turn out to be violent because they have pent-up aggression. And, uh, you know, boys are going to compete. Boys are territorial. Boys are going to do this. I guess women, too. I'm not a woman, so I can't tell the inner things about, about the way a woman thinks. But, you know, women, you know, it's interesting how men will will fight for their territory, whether it's in a, on a committee, whether it's coaches trying to see who the head guy is or whatever. John, if we get five men together, they become territorial. Women are more social. They'll make friendships, and their type of fighting is a little bit different. But the point is, is it's just sort of the law of the playground. Now, in tennis, let me get back when I was Dr. City Parks. You know, I, when I just went to the park and scrapped it out, there was this guy, actually it was Mr. Leverins. Mr. Roland Leverins used to come over. He was hired by the city of Indianapolis. He would come over to the park on Wednesdays. And I remember he would always have five or six kids over there on the on the, the old hard asphalt courts and he'd be teaching them and he'd be showing them a few things and at first you're saying I don't want to be one of those kids those kids sort of look like you know dorky kids you know they're those are the tuba players in the band those are those aren't really good athletes and 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 what what ended up happening is because you're so competitive I would run over there sometimes I'd go Mr. Leverins would you help me Look how I hold my forehand. And then they would show, you know, I played with a Western forehand on forehand, upside down Western forehand on the backhand, you know, my first whole year I played. And, and the point is, is then knowledge became important. Then instruction became important after you compete. Now, if I could just throw in one more little um uh, example here. I worked in College Park, Maryland for three and a half years after I was in Thailand. I went to, was in Clemson for 33 years and I went to Thailand. Then at College Park, Maryland, three and a half years. Now we had an inner city program that we would do in the DC area. We go into inner city programs. Well, you know, God bless the effort that, that, that the man who ran the place up there, Mr. Ray Benton, he ran that place up there and he, uh, <coughs> You'd put together this nice inner city program. They'd go into the inner city and work with these kids. And, well, you know, they'd have kids show up, but the kids were like, I don't get instruction here. It's sort of like taking formal piano lessons and trying to learn Beethoven out of the blocks. You know, you better pick out Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star or, um, or Row, Row, Row Your Boat, you know, with one finger and, and figure that one out first. And you better, you know, but competition, what we figured out when I was there was that 
the kids want to compete. They want to play. They want to be, you know, now, how do you blend into teaching with that? Well, first of all, once they compete, there becomes a need to want to compete, to get better at things because most people don't like to lose, especially in tennis. People don't like to lose. And, and when kids don't like to lose, they want to get better. And in order to get better, let's give you some lessons. Golly, my best buddy growing up, who was number one in the state of Indiana, a boy named Lester Brown, never had a lesson, was a good basketball player, and he had a crummy serve, probably still does, and if he's listening to your program, he lives over in Louisiana. But if he, if he, he had a crummy serve, do you know the people at the, my park chipped in to get $30 or something together to get him a lesson on his serve because he didn't know how to serve and nobody knew how to teach him. So there was a fellow across town that, that gave lessons and he was supposed to be the best. And uh, so we, we, they got him together the 20 or 30 bucks, whatever it was back then, which seemed a lot of money, but everybody chipped in and he took a bus all the way out across town about a 40-minute bus ride. He got off the bus, and it was raining, and he got off the wrong stop, and he ran all the way to the club, and the club was shut shut down. And that's the closest he got to ever having a lesson. But by being a great competitor and having great hand-eye coordination and all that, he actually became the best player in the state of Indiana and got a scholarship and got his education paid for and what a fantastic talent he was. And we all just, oh, old Lester just had a better serve. So, you know, those were different times. Now we can, we give our kids opportunities. We give them baseball lessons and tennis lessons and golf lessons and dance lessons, painting lessons and guitar lessons and piano lessons. And and we pay for all this, but they don't fall in love with what they're doing. So, you know, there's got to be teaching now is is much, much more. Uh, what do I want to say? It has to be a, a much deeper level of thinking and in 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 trying to lead people without pushing people than it's ever been because the kids are so saturated with opportunities. And any of you that coach tennis or play out there. You can just, you know, every day at the end of practice, the, the kids leave 15 balls laying on the court. And to this day, this drives me crazy. As a kid, having a tennis ball, whether it was worn out, dead, fluffy, or bald, it was a big deal. We actually, my buddy and I, every time it rained, we would run over to the park right afterwards. And sure enough, there were five or six balls laying around that people just left out there when it started raining. And I can remember we both had a drawer full of tennis balls. Oh, my golly, was that the big deal. And we used to put them in the the sun to dry them out and then use them and use them and use them and use them. So uh, it was different times, John. But the, the point is, is, you know, the, yeah, the, the skateboard analogy is, is exactly right. Pick up basketball. Look, inner city, the kids get great at pick up basketball, don't they? There's nobody giving basketball lessons in the inner city to some of these great basketball talents that come out of inner cities. I don't know if Larry Bird 
was given basketball lessons when he was coming up. And, and a lot of your best tennis players, they sort of learned things and then they picked up things here and there. So all we did, we, we marketed and we figured out how to market and we got so complicated in organizations. Our central organization is the worst. USTA, they do things because they can, not really because they should. And I'm, I'm very, you know, I always, I don't talk very fondly of them usually because with all of the, all of the resources they have, I keep saying, please, stimulation, not manipulation. We need, we don't need systems. We need incentives. We need, our kids need to just be pointed the way, hey, we got a tournament down here and, and kids will show up if you've got, you know, and it, it's um, so anyhow, John, that's, that's a great, great uh, thing. And again, the book was, 12 Rules for Life by Jordan Peterson. It, it's uh, the bestseller out there, I think. I think he's got over a million people, I think, on his – that listen to his podcast. That, that's amazing, you know. So, um, yeah, it anyhow, is, it, with it that. Is a good book. It, is, it is a good book, but it's, uh, it's a challenging book, but it's good. And uh, quite frankly, uh, I've, uh, I got it from the library – and I've uh, since uh, bought the book to put on Kindle because I like to reference things. But I like to go yeah. to the library first and see if yeah. I'm going to like the book <laughs> before. Yeah. Hey, John, and it was interesting, though, when uh, it was one of the books, I have a quarrel with the library because the library wasn't putting a lot of the stuff that conservatives like. And it wasn't coming, so I put a complaint in, and I gave them a list of books and everything. And when they got that, they reserved it. But I had so many things going on. I was uh, at Chapter 10, and I said, I'm not finished with the book. I want to, uh, you know, extend it. They said, you can't. There's somebody uh, uh, reserve it. So I said, okay, I said, what we can do is we can put it on extension. Well, I says, okay, so I gave it back. I said, I have two lousy chapters. And two days later, I get a message from the library and say, we have your book for you. <laughs> and I'm saying, John, well, you've got to be the slowest be reader in the world. But they explained to me when I got there that it was, uh, they got more books in on that there. So that's why I got it. But I'm saying, how could somebody read this book in two days? I must be dumber than I thought. But it, well, but John, it's a great, you know, <laughs> I'd like to get to your comments before about loving and something going into it. I was telling while you were off about I learned at a country club because I was caddying and taking five mile bicycle rides back and forth. It was, you know, going in. But I got involved again when I was coaching high school uh, basketball. <clears throat> And I got involved because I thought it was, you know, be good for cross-training for for selfish reasons. Because in high school, in most states, you're limited how long you can coach. And a lot of the complaints that I had, for, especially with the basketball kids, is, you know, coach, as soon as the season's over, my kids' grades go down and everything, and why can't you coach year-round? So I got involved with tennis, and I fell in love with tennis. 
And I said, if you're going to do this, I believe the coaches today, what makes you such a great coach is communications. I, I, I often say the game of, time, game of tennis is about time, but a good coach has to know how to communicate. And I think that's what makes you the genius that you are. The problem that I see is everybody's in a hurry, and I don't care if you're coaching an individual or you're coaching if you're a business coach, which I do mostly now because I'm old, or if you're coaching a high school team, you know, you better know who you're coaching and what they've done and what what they're looking for so you can help them. Comment. Well, I, I, I agree. Um, there's several things you hit on there we could talk about. Uh, there's there's reasons why coaching is not effective right now, and I think number one reason is you have to get close enough to people to where they trust you, and you do the right thing regardless of feelings, their up or down feelings. And in order to do that, you have to have the trust of the parents, you have to have the trust of the kids. You got to care a lot about the kids. I've made comment before that. There's five levels of relationships with human beings. Uh, I don't. I can't remember years and years ago I read this. Whereas, cliches to facts to opinions to feelings to needs. Most coaches in tennis now go with cliches and facts and a few opinions, and then thank you. That'll be seventy-five dollars, please. And and um, we do that even at the highest levels because. There's so much information out there. There's a lot of, uh, you know, uh, locker room coaches, and there's a lot of, you know, sideline coaches, as they say, uh, that think they know more than everybody else. And and then it, it so it comes down. There's a lot of people out there just operating off their personality, and they stick with cliches and facts. You know, in other words, what's going on? Not much. How's that? Hey, listen. You might try this, you might try that as far as their opinion goes, but you've got to get close to people. And to this day, the reason I'm in coaching, and probably you too, is the most influential people that I've ever had in my life, other than other than my parents, of course, were coaches that I had. And, um, you know, because they in, engaged at a much, much deeper level and now, of course, everybody's, oh, my God, we don't want anybody that close to our kids. Well, you know, the, the point is is you've got to care about people to a deep level to move the emotions. And with, with, with that, you know, I wanted to bring out something, John, about the – even right now I'm trying very, very hard. I'm at probably the ultimate place for motivation. I'm at the Citadel, and it's a fantastic, fantastic place. It's fantastic. And um, the people there, the kids that go there, they, they, you know, I don't have to worry about the keg parties on Thursday nights or people hung over on Saturday mornings like I did at, you know, you did at a, a different college, most colleges, and you you have most of the people are driven or they're, they're disciplined for sure. They're automatically compliant and most of them are committed. But even there, I'm trying to figure out different ways to coach. You know, it's interesting this year and Coaches out there, think about this one if you're in high school. Um, the first three weeks of practice this year, what I have done is it's been a race to win 20 sets. And whoever won at first, we just had my first four guys 
finish winning with 20 wins, 20 sets of wins after these last three weeks. And the way I do it, we started out with random out of a hat, you know, numbers. And then I went with the winners played winners, losers, losers. And whoever had two or three wins would play each other. We have four or five wins and it got up to 10 wins and not mixed it up a little bit, but for the most part, they separated themselves, and those top four guys now are the ones that have won 20 sets. And I told the team yesterday, you're not getting any drill work. We'll help you. We're going to instruct. But we're not going into the drill work to just work on ball striking, you know, until you win your 20 sets. you got to win 20. And for the, for the main reason that our kids with the lack of tournaments that they play, and unless you – you know, the meaningful sets that are competitive, they just don't get them anymore. You know, so I've, I've taken sort of that attitude of, you know, whether you call winners on a basketball court or winners on the first court at your park or you're competing, but they're meaningful sets. And I've got to say the competition has been tremendous. It's been intense. And the good and the bad of it is you get the intensity and the right – for the most part, it's been in the right way. But the point being, John, is that, you know, with the freelancing that we need in sports is not out there. You know, my, my son's in baseball now, and they just have won a few tournaments, like he's in the 13-year-old league. And uh, we went to a tournament this weekend, and they won the tournament. But I was there and just thinking about, as they get into this travel ball and everything, I was talking to a parent. Look, I'm grateful for any time somebody spends time with your, your, my youngsters. You know, I'm all forever grateful. But the schools have just really dropped the ball as far as competitive sports other than football and basketball. Um, tennis, I've, of course, I've referred to it as an after-school activity. And in uh, tennis, it's awful. But um, they don't play enough. They don't play enough in the other sports, too. I, even in baseball, the baseball is extremely good where I live. It's very good. So if my son ever makes the high school team, that'd be awesome. But in the elementary schools and in the junior highs is where I really believe middle schools were really missing an opportunity with our kids. Why don't we have elementary school sports? And I, the only thing I can think of is, is because people are afraid of some title that makes us more uh, uh, open for suits or something, or, oh, what if kids get hurt, or, oh, by the way, what if, and then it's about, but how good would it be in your elementary school sports if, if kids could have practice right after school, and then parents pick them up at five after they get off work, you you know, and you have we'd always have dedicated teachers or co- or parents that were coaching, but but we need elementary school sports. I don't know what happened there, John. I mean, that's we we used to have elements. The CYO Catholic Youth Organization was huge in the northern cities. You know, I mean, thank God for the sports I got to play in the CYO growing up. But we ought to have them in Ellen. We shouldn't have to go to the YMCA and your kids play on the blue team or the green team. They don't. They're not going to care about that. Now the the baseball my son has played on. He's been on three or four different teams, 
And the kids all like each other a lot, but it's not like they've gone to school with each other, and it's not like they're playing for their school. It's, it's uh, you know, it's just we're just doing a lot of things that are not smart. And uh, maybe the goal is more participation than it is excellence. That's the only thing I can think of. And in high school, tennis, you know, I'm, I'm going to try to start doing some talks as much as I can, John. Maybe get me down there to Florida to speak again to high school coaches, you know, in the off season. But the first thing I would ask a group of high school coaches is, when is the last time, you know, have any of you ever had a college coach come to one of your dual team matches to watch any of your players? Okay, none. Or, hey, maybe one. Was it a parent or something? All right. Now, um, then I then I would <clears> – <throat> Then I would ask them, okay, why? And then you would talk through that. There's, there's college, high school tennis is a sleeping giant. If you had the right format and you had it done in the right way, you, you could have, you'd have coaches coming out there to watch and trying to recruit your players. But or, or then you would ask players, well, how many of you would like to have the very best kids in your region or your neighborhood or your school district come to your school to play tennis most of them would say the best players don't they play tournament tennis or itf tournaments or something and they don't play high school tennis because high school tennis is not serious well it's not serious because (laughs) oh my golly john you would have loved it but Probably 10 years ago, I gave a talk at the PPR convention, or how long has it been? 15 years, I guess, they've had this no-cut tennis. They were introducing no-cut tennis, and they could get the numbers way up, and I was going, whoa, whoa, whoa. In my talk, I sort of let them have it. And maybe that's why I haven't been asked back that many times. But I said, <laughs> if you decrease the value, easy to pick up is easy to put down. If you decrease the value, you don't cut any of the kids you devalue everything about it. And you, you, and what's worse is you pull the, the good players. You, when you don't allow the best players to run to the open field, there's just no value in it. And uh, I guess, I, did I tell the story on your show that the biggest mockery ever was my friend, uh, Coach Randy Blumendahl and I were recruiting when he was coaching college as well. And we were at, it was in fall, and we were at this high school watching kids practice before the tournament. They were using the practice courts. And the coach, the high school coach, gets out of the car, and they said, said, it's the start of the high school season. We have tryouts starting in about another 40 minutes. He brought out 10 dozen of Krispy Kreme donuts. <laughs> and, and we and 10 dozen Krispy Kreme donuts. And all the kids were hanging out eating donuts. And I'm going, oh, my God, are, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? What I would be doing if I was running a high school team is the first thing I'd bring the kids out. I'd say, okay, the first thing we're doing today is we're going to see what kind of shape you are. And then I'd start running them until kids wanted to quit. I said, there's the gate. Leave if you don't want to play. I mean, if you know, it's just absurd that people do, they just don't get it. 
They don't get it. People don't want to be average. There's something inside of us wants to be excellent. And people will take something for nothing if you don't make them work. But, John, I, it's it again, I let if you ever get a chance, I'd be glad to come back down to Florida and, 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 and do a talk for you. But, well, well, I think we... I think we have to, uh, you know, somehow get the uh, parents and everything around because my two biggest thing, I think the USTA, like it or not, they look at high school tennis as recreation, and eventually you become, you know, really assistant. They, they don't do look college. at it as competition. John, they do college. The, uh, they, they yeah, do college and now too. the same thing is happening in the college because that's what, and that's They've my given fear. Up eventually college, it yeah. goes right up the ladder. But the same thing with our school systems now, I really believe, that we're not teaching subject matter no more. We're a babysitting thing. We're teaching people how to pass tests and not uh, teaching them whatever the subject matter is. It's where this is what sports is not. It's just part looking at an after-school activity in all the schools unless the coach goes out there and invests in it. The truth of the matter is, I forgot what the numbers are, but Bobby had figured it out once. I forgot how many thousands of dollars I was losing a year coaching high school tennis because of things I had to eliminate from where I was that I couldn't do, and because of time restraints, and because of the investment I was making. That's what, you know, and I and I am literally when people say, well, Coach, you got to go out and get more people like yourself. Well, I'm not sure I did the right thing for 20 years. I'm not sure that, you know, somehow we got to get the parents and, uh, and uh, educators to understand that taking the easy way out is not always the best way. Okay. I got to tell you a quick story, and you'll love this. All right, so so my son's playing travel baseball. He's thirteen year old, and he's got really good coaches. I mean, these if I, I, I I'm so impressed. These guys, they got a an ex college guy out there that runs them through the stuff and very organized practice. They've got a tough taskmaster. Oh, I love this. The other day, my son's playing this tournament in Augusta. In the first game, he's playing shortstop, and the ball's hit to his right between shortstop and third. And he doesn't lay out to get it. He sort of just lets it go by him, you know. And it, he is one of those tweener balls. He, he could have laid out and tried to stop it, but he didn't. From the dugout, this kid goes, hey, Paul, he says, your mama will wash that shirt if you get it dirty. <laughs> and, and I'm 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 up in the stands. I just love it. I love it. Okay. So, the, but here's the point. My wife, the week that they left for this tournament. Okay. The week before, it was about a week and a half ago. My my wife says she came home. And they had a meeting, a parent meeting. She goes, I am so mad. I wish you were there, Charlie. She calls me Charlie. I wish you were there. You would have said so. I said, I said, well, I was wrong. She said, these parents. Two or three of them were just complaining, you're too hard on my kids. You're too hard. Please don't yell. And a couple of the parents, my wife jumps in and she says, no, anybody that pours into our children like you guys do, we trust you completely. 
make it hard on them. I said, way to go, honey, way to go. And I told the coaches, too, I said, look, there is no way on this God's green earth any of these kids are going to go to the higher level. In baseball, I think 70% of them quit right at 13, 14, because the field gets so big, it gets huge. The bases are longer, the pitching is longer, the fences. And in order to be good, you've got to be real good. You've got to be athletic, and you've got to learn. And I said, I want you to be tough on my kid. Be tough, please. Now, here's what I told him, okay? This is the story. And I've used this line many times with tennis parents. So tennis parents, think about this one before you complain to your coach that they're too hard. So I told him, here's what I do. When I get a tennis parent and I start working a kid pretty hard and they start saying something, I say, okay, okay, that's fine, that's fine. I won't push them that hard. And I'll say, sir, you've, you've got three kinds of coaching. you got resort coaching where you basically say, hey, Billy, how about the new Babolat rackets that we got in there, the super titanium boron racket, and it'll really hit, help you hit a rocket forehand there. And there's in my pro shop. And, hey, Billy, let me work on that forehand a little bit. That's resort coaching. Then I said, you got country club coaching. We go, hey, Billy, Billy, showed up for your clinic here. Let's run three laps and get a sweat up, and then we're going to get in line for some drills. And and then I said, then you got coaching. I said, and I'll say, sir, I said, I won't give them the coaching unless you really, really want me to. I'll, I'll do the club thing. Which one do you want, the resort coaching, or do you want the club coaching? Or do you want the real coach? Said, well, I want the real coach. Well, why do you want? I said part of that is calling the kid out if he gets if he doesn't do right. Yeah, yeah, we'll pump them up when they need to. Yeah, we'll give them compliments when they need to. But let let's let's be frank about this. If and I tell my players this, I go guys, if I'm ever too hard on you, let me know and I'll put you over there on court 15 and you can just work on what you want. They go, no, no, coach, I want to, no, 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 no. If we're work, you know, if we're working too hard, tell me if we're working too hard. And I always say this, do I ever get upset about losing? No. I said, what are the two things I get upset about and I will not tolerate? And the coaches out there, think about this one. And they know, my players know very well. Number one is if you don't bring everything to the table. You don't bring it. You know, you don't bring it to the table every time. You you pick and choose your cafeteria competitor. You pick and choose when you want to try your best. I said that the second is thinking too small. I hate small thinking. I hate it. This generation of kids have been on the computers too much. They know too much. Parents know too much from the computers, and you basically don't have many dreams. They have too much reality, not enough dreaming. And without dreaming, the kids just are not not going to buy into something greater than themselves. You know, so, you know, the point is with my son in baseball, yeah, I'm hoping that the kid, the, the coaches work him so hard that he has to decide, do I really, really want this? And then I've got to work hard to go forward. Or, you know what, it's too much and I don't want to do this. And I know what the answer will be. When he gets to college, though, he might not have the choice. I have uh, talking to um, my son-in-law last week, and we have a grandson that's freshman college scholarship. 
They went up to see the uh, uh, game, and uh, the shortstop behind them had a similar situation. Two uh, balls that should have been caught. One they gave an error, one they didn't. And I said to him, the coach is not the same person that recruited him. I said, well, he is the same person, but he's got a different job now. And he said to, to uh, my grandson, Ryan, do you still think you have a chance at playing pro? And my grandson, he says, yeah, I do. He says, how come you didn't say something to him? And he said, well, you know, he just has a bad day. He said, his bad day is your earned run average. Do you think that pros are going to be coming down here watching you every day, or do you think they're going to look at a stat sheet and look at your earned run? Are they going to know that the shortstop, because he was lazy, cost you two runs? So thank God there's some coaches out there. And I asked, uh, and I think probably because he had a pain in the ass grandfather, but I said, well, is Ryan upset? He said, no, no. He says he loves it. So I said, so the truth is he's the same coach, but he has a different job now. He's not recruiting. He's running a baseball team. Here's my last message, Aaron. I think you probably about used up our time, but you, but here's my last message to parents. Look, if you trust your kid or with a teacher or with a coach, let them do their job. And if you don't want them there, get them out of there. But the point is, do not try to dumb down the coach's methods or the bar for all the rest of the kids because your kid's not cutting it. If your kid's not cutting it, he's got to get better. He's got to be hungry. He's got to work harder. And that's what sports are not set up for your comfort. Tennis is not set up for our fail more in tennis than any other sport. You got to lose. And then all you, your goal is to try to learn to lose less. But you lose so much in tennis, it's not set up for your comfort. So parents, give the, you know, let the, let the parent, let the, Daggone coaches work and do their work. But remember, you want that resort coach and go to a resort. You want the country club coach and go to the country club and pay money to have them sing Kumbaya with your kid and make them feel good. You know, but the bottom line is if you want a real coach, ask that coach to get the very most out of them. And I think your youngster will want the same. Well, Coach, we're down to 90 seconds. I appreciate, as always, uh, you coming on. I, I, I just want, have to remind the, the audience, if you haven't read Coach in Tennis, and if you, you know, you really have to, and uh, maybe uh, next month we'll get into it, but I just thought my commentary today, you know, might bring a discussion on, and uh I appreciate your uh, remarks, and Thanks. I'm sure the audience appreciates them too. But tell the people how to get a hold of you uh, before we yeah. go uh, off the air. ChuckCreasy.net, K-R-I-E-S-E, ChuckCreasy.net, and you can email me at uh, ChuckCreasy at Gmail. Now, oh, yes, Coaching Tennis, the book, is now uh, one of the – biggest sellers most sold books and coaching books and tennis out there and you can go to amazon and still get a coaching tennis and uh so hey and let me hear from you if you got ideas thank you john god bless you for the work you're doing 
Thank you, Coach. Thank you for being on, and you have a safe journey. Take care. Bye-bye.